Here we go. The Crave Show with Chris and Jay Russ. Jay Russ and Chris, we're back for another episode. How you doing, man? I'm I'm good. I'm actually better. I uh, I think I told you I did the Wisconsin Head Up record. Yeah, yeah, was, we talked about it a little bit last week. Yeah. So during those attempts, um, there was a I was in the base, and there was another flyer that a second stinger who took his dock pod closer tried to take the dock on him you know what i mean when i say barn door like he kind of flew backwards in a two-way line he was still okay. connected to the first stinger he ended up on his back over the top of me and got in my burble and came down on my head oh, so man. free fall collision would be a little bit too too heavy of a term to use but i i like it pinned my chin to my chest and he just kind of stayed there for a little while um it, all good we you know we we kept on jumping and I, I felt okay. And, um, the next day my, my neck kind of was sore. And but then on, on Monday when we started training, uh, I had, I couldn't sleep that night because I just had like fire going down my arm hmm. and in the middle of my back. And, uh, it, it continued for almost a week. I finally made an appointment with a chiropractor and it, it, like I was getting a massage during the week. And I was like, man, I, I can't live like this. It's just like, this is intense pain it was all that bad. the time. Yeah. Oh, all man. day. And I, I couldn't sleep. Uh, and I, I have a, th I really don't like taking pills, just generally mm -hmm. pills. And I was doing ibuprofen and acetaminophen and, and regular uh, aspirin. And I, the chiropractor cracked my neck after about an hour of consultation and it was gone. Uh, and it, it came like, I almost cried. It came back. Not nearly as bad. About an hour later, but then uh, I got another appointment on Friday. That's oh, that's tomorrow morning. Yeah, I got an appointment tomorrow morning, which I'm really looking forward to now. But yeah, uh, I was man that it'll give you some empathy for people who have to deal with like long term injuries man. because uh, and it hurt and and uh, then all you just wanted is to reset back to your old baseline and hey, this I, I wasn't in pain all the time a week ago. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, doing better. Dude, well, that's good. I mean, that's awesome that you got some relief. I um, that reminded me of a conversation I had with a friend one time. I had I'd been experiencing some pain. I can't remember. I think it was like shoulder. I can't remember, like under my shoulder blade, like along my spine or something. And so I'd been going to the chiropractor, and it was helping. I was feeling better. And so I was talking to my friend, and he's like, "Yeah, I just um, you know, I just don't, I don't want to go to the chiropractor because I feel like it's one of those things." Once you start going, then then you have to keep going. Like it's going to make you like dependent on the chiropractor. You're going to have to go all the time, and uh, that's the only way you're going to feel better. <clears throat> and I thought about that. I didn't say anything at the time because I was, hmm, I didn't know how to respond. I had never thought about it like that. Well, then I started thinking later. And I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. That's like saying I don't want to eat healthy because then I'll always have to eat healthy if I want to feel good. I don't want to exercise yeah. because then I'll have to always exercise. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't make sense. That's a terrible reason not to go. Yeah. Like, if it helps you feel better, what? No, I know that's dumb. But he's yeah. a, he's a good friend. So if I, I hope he forgot that conversation. If he hears this, he won't know I'm talking about him. <laughs> but it was a dumb thing to say. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. I got. I've got something that I want to show you. I want to. I'm going to make you feel bad. I guess. Oh really? Not bad, but kind of jealous you know okay. what i have right here can you see it is it biltong yes <laughs> i am jealous yeah it's biltong <laughs> and 
J-Russ, this is Wagyu built on. Oh, uh, yeah? <laughs> well, whoops. You know what to get me for Christmas. Yeah, man. I'm going to send you like a big care package of, of Biltong. <laughs> what's for what's sure. crazy is that, um, you know, Holly Alum. Yeah. I was talking to her um, earlier this week and I said something. I don't even know why it came up, but I said something to her about Biltong. And she's like, yeah, I know what that is. I was like, what? what? Like, so cool. Like, so many more people know what it is than, than I would have thought. Because I'm just learning recently what it is, you know, that it even exists. It's great stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you like to eat dried meat, it's oh, yeah. great stuff. And I do. I do. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, what else has been going on, man? Uh, we had a couple days off. Um, there is a uh, Netherlands team here training, and they wanted the caravan because the upcoming World Cup is out of the caravan. And so they wanted to get a few uh, exits and reps out of that. And that meant uh, we were second on the priority list this week for training because the belly team rhythm was first. And so that basically gave us days off, which I don't have very many of, but three days off in a row was all right. Nice. Yeah. What, a little what bit did unusual. you do? I put it, um, the, a friend of ours across the way in the campground wanted a deck and hot tub installed. And so I built her a deck and, um, She's got to, she's got to actually install the hot tub, but I, I, I'm almost done. I need like one more weather day and I'll, I'll be completely done. Just got to get, like, she wanted a pergola up on top, like a kind of a shade structure. And I didn't get that done, but the, the deck's built and uh, hot tubs in. So cool. that's awesome. Productive couple days. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Got to help somebody do something nice. What about you? Uh, I just been working. Yeah. Working. Uh, actually, um, my oldest son has been in, um, he was in Europe for the past six weeks on a mission trip with a, with a church group that he's a part okay. of. And, uh, so we drove from Bernie today. We drove all the way to Houston and back. We went and picked him up from the airport. He, he flew back in today. So we drove to Houston, picked him up and drove all the way back today. That's like a four and a half hours there, four and a half hours back. So we spent most of the day in the car. Um, and where out in Europe? He was in Paris. Well, outside of Paris um, for about three weeks. And then he was in outside of London in a small town, Lys, for about three weeks. Yeah. Man, what an experience. How old is he? He is 19. Yeah, he, he really enjoyed it. We, I mean, we got to talk a little bit on the way home. You know, we were, we were talking and he was, you know, sharing some stuff with us. And I was asking him a bunch of questions. And um, it sounds like he had a really, really good, good time. I'm excited to hear some more stories and look at pictures and stuff like that. Yeah. God, that's, that's so, I mean, it's just great to experience even for a little while, a couple other cultures and yeah. different it's people. So, and- it's so valuable, man. Like we, um, I, I've had, I've been lucky to get to travel a little bit around the world, different places. Um, but then also my wife and I and our kids, we lived in Thailand. I think I've told you this, we lived in Thailand yeah. for about eight years and dude, it, it's so I just think it's so good for us. It, it, I mean, for one thing, like at, at first when you go to another culture, initially there's like a honey, honeymoon phase where you, everything's awesome, everything's wonderful. You think that culture is so perfect and so great and everything's so awesome. Just like when you get married, you have a honeymoon, you think life is perfect. And then real life sets in, you know? And so when you live in another culture, even if it's just 
you know, moving from Texas to New York or California to Florida or whatever, those are different cultures. You're going to, after a while, realize, oh, this place is not perfect. And then you have to decide, am I still going to love these people? Am I still going to, am I going to focus on the bad and be a whiner and a complainer and, and just be miserable all the time? Or am I going to try to look for the good and focus on the good and enjoy the positive that these people in this culture and this place has to offer? And, you know, sometimes that's hard to go through that, that valley of culture shock, you know? And same thing if people move from somewhere else to America, they're going to have a honeymoon phase where they think America is awesome. And then they're going to realize, oh, there's some bad things here. You know, everything's not perfect. And I, it really is good for you because you've got you to stop and say, wait a minute. This is, this is, there are good things here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on the positive. I'm going to be thankful for the good things. And you got to choose what your perspective is going to be. You know, we can do that anywhere. We can do that here in America. I think it's, it's important that we do that now for ourselves right here in our, in our home. You know, are, are you going to focus on the positive and try to be an encouraging influence on the world around you or the negative and, and just be a drain, a suck on everything around you? I, I think it would be great if, if more people could travel or would travel for a variety of reasons. But one of them is, is kind of what you talked about of just seeing the good and the bad of other cultures. And, and if, you know, if we aspire to be a, a great culture or a good, great country or, or however you want to view that it's, it's probably going to be, you know, there's, there's a lot of really good ideas around the world and getting out there exposes you to some of the good ones and some of the bad ones. And you have better perspective on what you want out of your home or your local government or whatever, you know, whatever, however you want to craft your world is, is something you can pick up a lot from when you go out to see other people, other places. Yeah. And it, and it helps you realize that there are other ways of looking at the world. You know, there's, it's, it's very easy to <clears throat> just see things one way. And when you go live somewhere else for an extended period of time, you realize like, oh, there actually is, it's okay that people see things differently and they do it a different, completely different way. And it's, it's good. It works. It's nice. And, and to appreciate that doesn't mean you have to do it that way. It doesn't mean you even have to see it that way but you can still appreciate that other perspective and, and be respectful of it and, and welcoming of it. And as a part of our world, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think there's a great quote from, uh, Mark Twain about, um, the cure for racism and bigotry. Basically it's travel. I'm, I'm butchering the quote, but it's, that's the gist of it. Um, hmm. And I, I, don't, I agree I don't with I that. that quote. Yeah. yeah. It's a good one. I, I remember Steph and I traveled, a couple of years ago and we, we pulled into this tiny airport. I think we were in Dominican Republic and we we're waiting around for some other people whose flight was later and just looking around and we got a coffee at the little shop and there's hundreds and hundreds of people there. And we are literally the two white people in the place. Uh, and it's just such a, you know, it's a good moment to have when you, when you realize that the world doesn't look like you in mm -hmm. a lot of places and, and it, it it looks wildly different if you just dip your toe in the water going somewhere else. Yeah. Well, that's, that's neat, man. That's very yeah. neat. Well, I also want to take a minute before we, <clears throat> before we get too far into it, just to, you know, we've had, we've gotten some comments on, um, the past couple episodes, a few comments on YouTube and, um, some Facebook comments and stuff. And so far it's all been really positive. And I, I just, that makes me feel so I'm, I'm really glad. I hope that this is, a benefit to people that listen 
and that we're sharing. So, I mean, I just feel like we're having fun goofing around and talking and, um, but the, the positive comments that we've had are really, really awesome. And, and I want people to know if they're, if they're watching, if they're listening, that that means a lot to us. And we, we would love to hear from them. You know, you can email us through the Crave website. You can message us through YouTube, through Instagram, through Facebook. If you have a, a question about something that we've talked about or something, just a question that you have about skydiving or about gear or a particular discipline, we would, we would love to hear those questions. And we would love to, we'll try to answer them. And if we don't know the answer, we'll try to ask somebody else that does and find out for you and, and share that with you. Because first of all, we don't, we don't know everything, right? I mean, um, as experienced as you are, Jay Russ, I, I'm confident that you'll admit you don't know everything about skydiving. Is that, I mean, is that true? I mean, but it's, there are times when I wonder how much I actually know at all. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's really, it's just about all of us trying to learn and grow and be better. But, but I, I love the idea of getting the audience more and more engaged. Um, and so please, if you're listening and, and watching episodes, please feel free to send us comments, send us questions. If you have ideas or things that you want us to talk about in, in a future episode, send us those ideas. We would love to have them. Um, and again, if it's something, a topic that we don't know about, we'll research it. We'll find somebody, we'll bring a guest on that does know about it and we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, so we, we would love to do that. And then again, if you have a video, um, that you want to share that you'd like some, some coaching or some tips or some feedback on, we'd love to do that too. We're going to have one, um, this evening. It's, it's similar to uh, what we had with Monica a couple weeks ago. This is more of a, this is not coaching and tips, but this is a video of something that happened um, that ended up being pretty, pretty scary. Um, I don't know all the details. Uh, we're going to have, um, a, a guy, Nick on here in just a minute. And so we're going to watch that video and go over it. But, um, anything like that videos that if you just want coaching or feedback or tips, we'd love to do that too. You can upload a video to us through the Crave website and, uh, let us know who you are so we can watch that video, maybe have you on, give you some feedback and coaching and, and, uh, help everybody do more and be better, man. Yeah, there's a few people in the audience today, which is um, which is nice. And I, I posted into the Scott of Chicago uh, Fun Jumpers page that uh, Nick was going to join us this week, and we were going to talk about his his incident. Um, and uh, I hope that at least uh, some of those people are from Scott of Chicago because they were. Um, I mean, it was a. I don't know if interesting is the right word, but it was a fairly serious incident. And, yeah. But every, but Nick's okay. Um, and, uh, so hopefully really good learning points from that. But, uh, if there are people in the Chicago audience, I put a message in the chat, not to be shy, but almost all those people, I think know me pretty well if they're here and probably won't be shy. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in the chat right now, I mean, just like you said, I, you, you just posted in the chat. If you guys are listening on the audience and you see that chat, um, if you have a question or comment that you want to put in while we're talking here on the show, go for it, man. We, we'd love to, we'd love to hear from you and get you involved and have a, more of a dialogue discussion if possible. Um, well, I, I think it'd be cool to go ahead and get Nick, Nick, uh, Nick on. I think he's going to, he's going to join here in a second. I gave him a link, um, to come in as a, as a guest member. Cool. So he'll, he'll be with us, um, in just a minute. But, um, while we're, while we're waiting on him, um, I mean, do you, you know, as far as kind of what I was saying, questions or comments or anything along those lines. Do you have anything to add to what I was saying while we're waiting on Nick? 
Um, I mean, just in general, I, I think sometimes, uh, sometimes when I end up talking to, to people, um, in, in some groups of people, that there's the perception that, that I, I have a lot of experience. And so it's a, it's a one-sided conversation, which is not, is almost never what I want. Um, and, uh, to your point, I, I know quite a bit about, uh, VFS and, um, and so when I'm, when I'm, but even talking to people about VFS who also do VFS, it, that's a discussion. It's not me telling people how things happen, but then if you get out into the bigger world of skydiving, man, my, my dominance of knowledge in those areas dwindles really fast. And, and, you know, there, I think that when you start getting experience as a skydiver, you, you realize that you can really focus on one thing and you can get good at that one thing. And, and, but even within that one thing, you might be an expert, but there's, there's a bunch of other experts around. And then when you get out of your area of expertise, whew, now you, I mean, you're just kind of like everybody else. And, um, the thing about having a lot of experience is that you've been around for a while and you've, you've seen a lot of bad things happen and hopefully you've seen a bunch of good things happen too. And hopefully you picked up information from those, but that does, certainly doesn't make me an expert on all these things. So like the discussion we're going to have with Nick, um, welcome Nick, because Nick's here now. Nick. Um, uh, that this discussion is, you know, Nick's been really focusing on canopy flying for the last few years. And although I, I did canopy compete for quite a while, it was, it was a decade ago. And, and so, um, anything that we talk about is just my general ideas about skydiving and certainly not to be taken as uh, gospel. Yeah. Nick, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, oh. you might, you might be muted. I think your mic is muted. No, not yet. I don't have any audio from Nick. Let's see. Yeah, it's, show it's showing that your microphone is on, but, uh, yeah, we, we can't hear you. Um, <clears throat> he's going to keep trying. Yeah. He's going to maybe if he logs off and logs back in. Well, um, so technical difficulties, that's just part, part of a show, I guess, you know? Yeah. It's part of it. Um, yeah. So we had a conversation a couple weeks ago about, the old rhythm camera flyer, Justin Wegeman, who said showing these videos doesn't have much long lasting effect. Oh yeah. I forgot about remember? that conversation. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so the next day, I think the day after we talked, Steph said, Oh, Justin got in touch with me. He wants to come and get some coaching and do some MFS. He just did a bunch of tunnel time. You there, Nick? All right, now, now try it, Nick. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, okay, all right. Very but good. Just to finish up, I, I, because this is sort of Justin's area of expertise, and I, I want to maybe get him on as a guest um, and see, kind of show, uh, there's an angle flying video that I show a lot of times to people who want to lead angles to demonstrate the serious nature of what that could entail. Um, 
and it's a uh, it's similar to this video that we're going to watch that it it could have been really bad and as it it turned out okay um but a, a couple of rules broken so anyway um maybe maybe we'll think about justin in the future yeah that that would be cool i, I think that'd be really interesting to have him on because I, I really want to hear more about that, that yeah topic i'm sure he and, could and elaborate kind of his research and and yeah. perspective hey okay r remind me but uh Whenever after we uh, watch Nick's video and talk through through this stuff, um, I want to remind me about the angle flying and and leading those jumps. A, a conversation I had with somebody the other day. I okay. wanted to I wanted to bring up and talk talk about just a little bit with you. Okay. So Nick, man, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. I'm glad you can hear me now. So it's uh, been an honor to be asked to come on here. Of course, the circumstances is not the best coming on the show, but um, it's a great learning lesson. Um, there's a lot I've been thinking about, uh, you know, not hiding, not, uh, you know, I'm being very vocal about what happened because <clears throat> if we can prevent this from happening to somebody else, um, but uh, for the people that aren't watching, uh, that are watching that don't know is uh, I did have an AAD fire um from a well, high Nick, altitude oh sorry yeah let's let's start at let's start at the beginning of the jump kind of and, and you can walk us through so this was um you were jumping a demo canopy is that right correct yeah and it was a uh tell it what was the canopy? yeah what well, if you would nick walk through the whole walk through the whole jump and then that way when we show the video people will know what they're looking at yeah okay okay um i mean this started as a really good day. I was really on top of things. I just left the gym. I walked up to the hangar. Um, I know the day before now, after, you know, I knew walking up to the hangar that I uh, hastily packed my rig the day before to try to get on a later load. Um, <clears throat> but that wasn't in my mind. I uh, walk up to the hangar and manifest for a high pull. I'm feeling really great, but uh, <clears throat> I do a full gear check. Um, and uh, J. Russ had said to me a few days earlier on a jump, he didn't like the excess of, uh, you know, the sewn tab for the RSL lanyard. And uh, I had tucked that in. Uh, what could have happened is when I detached the uh, shackle, the shackle could have came loose. And uh, as as uh, I was in the gear shop with uh, some of the Gold State gear guys, is you can close the shackle and it's not actually, the pin's not pushing right through the hole and it can pull um you know a light load can pull that so i do a full gear check and um i just thought it was interesting um <clears throat> for for disclosure um i don't turn on my aed for high poles most of the time because i'm doing turns be, because i am um approaching and surpassing um the vertical speed for what the um on some on some uh, swoops, I am approaching or surpassing that speed, and you don't want to have an AED fire. Uh, I always turn it on for free fall. Um, pop and pops, you know, I, I generally don't. Um, but I do have a, a speed AED, so um, there's no question with that. Um, I get on the plane. <clears throat> there's just uh, there's a team in front of us getting out of a 10-5 pass for belly. I think it was a uh, rhythm XP. Um, and then there's three jumpers in front of me. We're in the caravan. Um, it's just like any other jump. I'm sitting there in uh, 40 Echo Alpha. And uh, I get out after the two people in front of me. There's only three of us getting out at 13.5. 
Um, I just get out like normal. I wait about, you know, however many seconds for somewhat of a terminal opening and um, just instantly know and look up and it's a big mess that maybe that I didn't, uh, you know, um, I didn't realize was there's no coming back from this. Um, this is a demo Nick, canopy. Nick, sorry, yeah, what was the canopy? It's a Airwolf 271 and it's had zero issues with me. I've, I have not had anything spin up um, like like this. This was uh, definitely a packing malfunction. I was running a full RDS, um, which I know we have to be more careful with running. <clears throat> um, so yeah, it, this is uh, from halfway up the line set to the canopy is complete twists and uh, the normal things are in my mind of, well, I got to think about emergency procedures. Um, my best uh, mindset was not put forward. Um, of course, I I don't want people to think this is a good habit. It was a habit I was in as my previous chop. I was able to ride it down to a somewhat safe um, level to chop it. Uh, I had lines break on my first cutaway. Uh, this is much different so <clears throat> when that canopy came out and it's there for a few seconds halfway up the lines to all the way up to the canopy itself i can see that uh, my slider and rds are are bound and there's no pushing that slider down uh, the canopy cannot open um i try to pull it apart like normal um but what ends up happening is complete braid and I start thinking man I don't know how long I could ride this and as soon as I had that thought process that is when the canopy opened uh, to an extent and it took me for a ride um, I have not been spun as bad as you know over 2,000 jumps I've never been spun like that in my life um, and it quickly started altering my decisions to, you know, to make the good decisions to cut away. I should have cut away right away. Um, what I hope people get from this is that um, even though it's a demo canopy, I had the wrong mindset of, oh, I don't want to chop it. Um, just get away from the canopy. This is your life. Your life is more important. We'll find the canopy later. Um, so this canopy starts spinning as you will see in the video and um, I experienced what is the uh, first time I got G-Lock and um, G-Lock is Nick, obvious. Nick, can you just ex expand on what you think that is? On what G-Lock is? Yeah. Well, it is the uh, centrifugal force of, uh, of the dense object. Well, I'm the dense object and then my the way that our circulatory systems are I don't have to explain that is your blood is rushing to your feet because of the the action of the spinning it is a centrifuge it is going to go towards the outside and I'm on my back probably like my back is parallel probably with the horizon um, just spinning and spinning and spinning and I've let it go too long I, I um, the blood had left my head so quickly I did feel my feet were heavy at one point so I tried to like pull my you know leg straps down tried to see myself nope drop me back in the saddle 
and I did go out and um, you know uh, it's a hard thing to say when I went out to where I came to besides the fact that I had uh, pulled my um, main my cutaway handle but uh, we counted there was uh, something like I, I think it was um, 37 or 38 uh, revolutions and um, the majority of them Jeez. I was out for so, thankfully this <clears throat> so you when it when it finally opens and it starts spinning at some point you went unconscious and then you then you woke you came back you woke up and yes. that's when you pulled your handle the cutaway yes. oh my yes. gosh okay <clears throat> yeah so then after that what happened um i know at one point when i'm spinning i can't see i'm just holding on i start to get this mental you need to get out now you need to do something there was just this calling it was extremely powerful and it was fight to get back and just grab that handle grab my handles and then you know pull and chop and uh, of course as one is flung from the centrifugal force i go back to belly to earth and then chop with the reserve um, i have a sky hook on my system um, but if that rsl is not connected the main cannot uh, be used in that manner. Um, there's a lot of uh, speculation on what happened. Yes, with the spinning, me being out, me not obviously making, uh, being able to make the best choices in that manner, uh, I probably did not extend that uh, reserve ripcord handle or arm far enough out uh, with the motion of how I was in the video. Um, I'm still groggy and dazed um but i'm seeing the ground now and there's a quick relief of okay i'm away from it um nothing's out though i'm looking down nothing is out nothing i'm like i have my handles in my hand i had all my stuff in my hand so i look down you know reach behind me try to see if something's going on there um i start panicking as one would at that moment, there's nothing above me. I'm still many seconds past the uh, cutaway, so I start pulling the reserve uh, leash, which is, you know, that Velcro attached portion that goes up to the lanyard part. And um, at one point, I'm just like, I'm so low. Um, nothing is out. Uh, the thing that bothers me probably the most is I had accepted that. I for, had forgot that my AAD was on because, like I said, I barely turned it on for high pulls, but just that day because I went through a full check, um, I had turned it on. Um, so I'm uh, basically making peace with myself that this is how it's going to be, and I um, <clears throat> start tracking for the river because I'm east of the river. The sky of Chicago has a north to south river. That is a hazard. Um, so I made some peace and said, if I'm going to impact, I'm going to go for the water. I'm still looking down, looking at handles, you know, going, what is going on? Like, all right, just make peace, go for it. Um, and then uh, my AED activates at the um, at the set altitude. And that gives you uh, quite a bell ringing, especially when you're uh, free fall speeds and you're, you're uh, tracking. 
so uh, kind of dim the, the sides come in you, you ever have that the uh, you know bell get wrong and the sides come in you can only see directly in front of you and I see just like the river and I'm seeing river river it's starting to open up and I start to see the east side of the river <clears throat> yeah, I passed I passed a really nice open area <laughs> but I chose not to go there for some reason and um, crash landed and uh you know it took it out of me everything that was going on i just laid on the ground for a little while um, <clears throat> dave the pilot dave schwartz uh probably circled about three to five times before i was able to actually sum up the energy and willpower to stand up and signal them and uh walk into a field um waving my my uh reserve um i had my phone on me because i always carry my phone on me um, skydiving as one should especially out here uh, especially as a load organizer you should carry a phone on you just in case you land with somebody that is hurt um, or, or etc I believe very strongly people especially movement jumps should be um, jumping with phones uh, I had no signal though because I'm deep in this uh, river valley so I have to start walking through the marshland and I get a phone call. Uh, I get I, I call um, Sky of Chicago Manifest. Let them know I'm okay. Dave sees me and probably, you know, I want to say at least 15 fly, fly you know, fly rounds tight and uh, banked really hard and uh, gives me a wing wave and uh, heads off and um, end up getting picked up by Anthony and Danimal um, in a boat. And this whole time is still. Yeah not much to process what just happened i was not angry or yelling or anything i was just like wow that really happened and um thank you aad thank yeah. you for those things being existence nick there's a question in the audience um do you know what your wing loading was on that canopy on 71 uh 2.7 okay yep okay, okay so <clears throat> All right, let's um, let's go ahead and watch it. I'm gonna try to pull it up if it will. It's gonna be a little bit grainy. Um, I, I I I lowered the resolution a little bit from the video that you sent me, Nick, yeah. just because I wanted to try to make it play a little bit smoother. So I'm I'm hoping that it'll play smooth for us, even though it's not gonna be like crystal clear video. Um, yeah. Can you guys see the video? Is it playing somewhat smooth? Yeah. Smooth, but a little grainy. Yeah. And this is from, what did you say, 13.5? Correct. In an instant. Just. Yeah. And so you you were saying, did I understand you correctly? You had you had packed quickly the day before trying to get on a late load, but ended up not getting on that load. Is that correct? Correct. That so is this, correct. Yeah. So that's what you're saying makes you think it. Can we pause the video, Chris? Sure. And can you go back to um, maybe like ten seconds prior to where we are right now? Sure. So, Nick, um, there is a question in the chat. I, I want to get back to kind of the stages of of what's going on right now. It says, what's Nick's jump experience? I believe you said around 2000 jumps. Is that right? Yes. And, and um, how much time in the sport? Uh, let's see. I have about 
uh, 10 years in the sport, um, half of my jumps are strictly canopy dedicated, uh, being hop and pops or high pulls. Um, so I have uh, more than just a regular experience of uh, flying a parachute back to the ground. I had sought out um, <clears throat> canopy courses uh, with many, many people, many instructors, and uh, flocking events. I was on a flocking team. Um, this is, I have experience, so this is something for someone to, you know, understand that uh, I have the perspicacity to fly these things and make a decision. Um, but uh, what the decision I made was uh, very much a, I don't want to chop a parachute to have to find it later. Um, yep. It was a very poor decision. So the, the, the next question is, what is his biggest learning moment from this? And I think that that might be one to leave towards the end of the discussion. Um, have you jumped since this happened, Nick? I have not. Um, I am uh, going to put in an order for a cutter uh, today. Um, it's a Mars M2 speed, and they've uh, been good to me. Um, I have, you know, I do want to get back in the air. There is just the uh, mental portion that is um, still sticking. It's understandable. Um, and I love to fly. I This is just really very odd, and I'm still uh, digesting everything that's happened. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll leave for whoever the, it just says that the name says the, so I don't know who actually asked that question, but um, we'll leave the biggest learning moment maybe till the end. Um, and then if, if we kind of shift back over to the video, I, I just wanted to say that at the, the moment we are at in the video right now, is, is audio okay? I'm getting a little bit of feedback. Yeah, I'm not sure. It, yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's maybe an echo. Maybe. Somehow, I'm uh, not sure. The, uh, let me see if I can hear. I'm going to, oh, I can't do it. Okay. Um, if we were just to go a little bit further, maybe. Uh, and when it, when the canopy comes into view, like you, I, you, we couldn't even possibly count the number of line twists you had, but, but you are twisted probably worse than is, does everybody know what I mean? When I say the pictures that PD put out that you like hold up in front of AFF students to simulate emergencies. And they, they did a bunch of, I mean, there were pictures from like 30 years ago and they were terrible. I mean, they did the job, but then PD made a bunch of really nice high quality photos of line twist and line over and broken line and blah, blah, blah. So that you can show AFF students, AFP, whatever that, um, Hey, what would you do in this emergency? And it's the best simulation you kind of have before they actually go up in the air. You're, they twisted their canopy so many times to get that picture and yours is worse. Uh, it is literally twisted from I mean, the whole thing is just twists. Um, and that is, again, just going to your comment previously that this is totally unrecoverable. Um, I, I don't know with a high performance canopy how this would ever come back. I wonder. Yeah. Okay. So let, maybe let's watch a little bit more. Okay. 
that moment. Yeah, so there's where it just opened up, right? Yeah. And I don't even understand with all those twists, how, how did it even open up at all? Yeah. I, so I had a situation a few years ago where one of my lines snagged yeah, Nick, my container. Nick, I think if you may have to mute your mic again. I think that's where the, the echo is coming from. I, uh, one of my lines snagged on my a grommet on my container and my canopy looked similar to what he had there. Um, just a kind of a lump of nothing good, just material fluttering around in the wind. And it did eventually explode open when I manipulated it enough to get the, the grommet actually tore out of my container or I would have been in much worse of a situation than I ended up being in. Um, but, uh, it, it's almost a similar sequence of events to what you have here. And I, I don't know what I, I Nick, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to ask if you thought about what you did in the pack job that created that initial kind of lump of, of crap that wasn't, wasn't open at all. Do you have an idea about what created that situation? You got to unmute. There you go. Can you hear me now? Okay. Yep. Uh, well, I know that it was rushed. I do believe my risers are probably off a little bit. I mean, I just know the whole pack job was rushed. I know that you have to be more delicate and more aware with a full RDS. Um, I still don't know exactly. Here's what happened and this, what caused this, but it happened. And But I mean, do you think potentially a line over uh, that you you had a tension knot somewhere like anything that that came to your mind I'm, I'm guessing you've watched this video now dozens or hundreds of times um, and, and tried to analyze what was going on um, I guess what I am settling with is uh, I could have had a loop or a line over the RDS ring I could have had placed the, there's uh, cutaway cables that are part of that slider. I could have had it go through a line grouping. Uh, I know it was rushed. I know that the RDS was not properly uh, tended to. I was trying okay. to get on the load that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, no line over. I know that uh, I've got, you know, probably about close to 10,000 pack jobs or more. So, and uh, probably about, you know, four or 5,000 of those are RDS, you know, or equivalent. So, um, and so, and I'm, I correct that you don't, you never got the canopy back. So there's no inspecting it after the fact. Uh, no, I am uh, going to be, I've already uh, flown a drone in that area, but, uh, thanks to the help of uh, Greg Jogaline that we were able to nail down the flight path trajectory supposed area. I just uh, need to get in contact with Anthony for the farmers so I can fly those fields um, gotcha. and uh, legally. Okay. Go a little bit further. Yeah. So video. real quick while I'll, I'll let the video play, but somebody asked another question in the um, okay. chat, just give a brief explanation of, of what an RDS is for those that don't know, please. It's a removable deployment system. So uh, try to imagine that uh, if you look in the video, you see the black D bag and then you see the part 
uh, that would normally attach to the top of your canopy. It would be uh, um, larched heads to the ring or to the loop on top of your uh, center cell top skin. So uh, RDS uh, removable deployment system instead what you do is the um, you have a removable slider that has um, these uh, sewn-in cables and these little channels or valleys that go through an opening where the ring is and these rings they have like the big opening part for your lines and then they have these two little spaces for a baseball stitched small cord and it, that small cord loop is going to press that and that small cord loop is attached to the corners of the slider so you push that loop through the slider hole there's another one right next to it and then you push the cable that's on that either back or front through it uh, and that locks it in place um, so uh, we pull these two strings it pulls these you know same thing as the cutaway cables on your rig um, it's pulling the cable away from, uh, out of the loop, so now the loops are free of the slider, um, well, we would say grommets, but they're rings. And then now you bring your rings down your slider. But uh, So I'm holding on to the slider now as I've detached it with these two strings. And what we're doing is we're bringing it in front of us and wrapping and wrapping and wrapping. And if you look in the video, there's this long lanyard that's our leash so from uh there's two um two strings that are coming off the rear corners of that slider uh then we larks had a longer it's like three to five foot section nick i'm gonna i'm just gonna stop you there for a sec so this person t said what is an rds so a detachable slider so just just so we can keep going on the video it is a detachable slider but instead of the pilot shoot and uh, bridle and d-bag being attached to the top skin of the canopy it is instead connected to the slider so when you remove the slider everything comes off you wrap that up you put it in the pocket off you go um, yeah. it's just a cleaner way for your canopy to fly yeah. that's a lot more work it does take it does a lot more work more housekeeping yeah so all right let's let's let this video keep going You said that you guys counted 30-something revolutions? Yeah, my friends have uh, timed things uh, from certain points to certain points, how many revolutions per second. Um, it was very interesting for my friends who are instructors to kind of um, digest all this and pick it apart, um, see how many re revolutions that I did, and they counted. Um, and I yeah, watched. You can count the you can count the sun going around. I just counted 20 in the last half of it. Yeah. Yeah. So right here, you, you've already pulled your reserve handle, right? I cut away my reserve. But you have no reserve canopy above your head. Yeah. So I'm and so reaching you're tracking... right about here. I'm, I pull my RSL. I know at some point I'm tracking and I just pretty much know or have this feeling that I'm going to, you know, go in. Well, I, I'm amazed that you had the mental wherewithal to even think through any of that stuff, like to be able to think clearly enough to try to pull on the RSL lanyard, to think clearly enough to track towards the wall. I mean, the fact that you passed that, 
whether you were completely unconscious or just partially is, and then came back to, and were able to think through like that is yeah. amazing. Yeah. It was something. Wow. Okay. So can, what is your thoughts now? I, I have a couple of different questions about, um, your thoughts about number one, not using an AD and and I, when you said you're, you're meeting or, or exceeding the speed required for a Cypress fire, not a Cypress, but your AD, um, to fire, are you taking that data from like a fly site? How do you, how are you getting that data? Uh, I'll start with the last one. Yes, I do use the fly site data to, uh, as I downsized and have started doing larger turns, I wanted to make sure I was not at that altitude that the AAD determines they're going this vertical speed at this, um, you know, foot above ground level deploy. So yeah. I have been using the fly site to say, okay, I'm getting close and on a really like, I like to do competition turns uh, on a really clean competition turn. I will surpass that. So uh, that would, uh, if I was, doing a competition turn, like I had a 60 square foot canopy, I was constantly surpassing that vertical speed. Um, and that was a danger when I was doing so, even so, bigger turns. He said, uh, so, so uh, Jay from the United said, Nick said he didn't have his skyhook connected and he usually doesn't have the AAD on. After this, how are you gonna handle this? Can the AAD be set to a faster speed than the preset? And I think, go ahead, Jairus, where you say something? Well, so I just want to back up as well that someone with the initial T in the audience said, could we see it once from yeah, the start you, to finish without stopping? So you guys keep we talking. will address that. Yep. You guys keep talking while I let it play. And then um, it's my understanding, I don't know about the Mars. I, I don't know much about that one. Um, it is my understanding that a Cypress um, on speed setting is uh has a firing parameter of 93 miles per hour downward speed um and actually i'm gonna stop talking and just let this play and let people watch this Yeah, I was I was trying to count the sun going by. I counted at least thirty five rotation revolutions, at least. <clears throat> so, uh, 
Well, your tracking skills look good. Like, like, you know, you were going to hit the water. <laughs> yep. Um, so I actually, there's the question from Jay, can the AAD be set faster speed than the preset? And I, my honest answer is I'm not hundred percent sure. I'm going to guess no. Um, but on a speed Cypress is a Mars 93 also 93 miles an hour downward speed. Do you so know the Mars, uh, the Mars, um, canopy setting, or I have like the actual canopy version of the AD, uh, activation is a hundred miles an hour at 885 feet. Okay. And is there an altitude below which it will not fire? Uh, there is uh, 475 feet. Or sorry, no, no, no. I'm reading that wrong. Um, there is a, there is a. Uh, it's around three or four hundred feet where it will deactivate. Yeah. Usually, Cypress and I believe um, uh, Vigil are both around 300 feet where it has a do not fire altitude below that. Um, 195. Uh, 195. That seems low. Oh, sorry, that's that was intermediate. This is 490. Sorry, it was 490. Okay. So that's actually not, not not terrible in my opinion. That's a little bit higher. Um, so just to just to kind of touch on setting the setting a preset a speed faster than the preset. Now you're getting into some really interesting situations where at 100 miles an hour, that's that's about as fast as you'd want it because at 110 or 15 that's free fall speed um and then you're risking that your your aed is useless because it's not even because the parameter is so high that you could you could be tracking and and be going downward slower than 115 or 120 and not, not have it work um so there there's a point where you just have to say like this is it this is the this, as high as we can make it um so what is the, there's another question. What is the reason that the reserve didn't, it says release, but I, I think it means kind of launch after Nick pulled the handle and was the handle not all the way out. And I, I think it's clear in the video that the cutaway handle was all the way out. Um, and I, not having looked at your gear, I, I can't really say on a skyhook system, like, I've seen Skyhook reserves fire. I've had Skyhook reserves fire. And when it, when you, you are not even really at arm extension with a properly functioning Skyhook and your reserve is over your head. It's so shockingly fast. You can't even believe that it happened. So since you're, you're jumping a vector. Correct. Correct. And, and it, that didn't happen that way. The only reason that I can come up with is that, somehow it became disconnected because otherwise it, it would have launched that incredibly quickly. Yes. Uh, so interestingly guys, um, yeah. So, uh, I recently wrote an article for parachutist about using your article, your RSL or your skyhook and the reasons that it should be disconnected and professional swooping is not one of the reasons that I agree with. And, um, just a just a touch on that really quickly and I, I think I talked about this last week, Chris, is that right? 
the uh, talked about no, one. No, I, I talked about it on Skydive Radio right after this happened with Nick. Sorry. Um, so in the article, it was really watered down because they didn't want to say places and names and they wanted to keep it very sort of generic and, and anonymous. But um, a friend of mine, Jess Edgington, uh, was a professional swooper. And in 2009, she went in um, and she had she had gotten out on a hop and pop pass, put out some military guys. There was a single fun jumper from the drop zone. And she basically the conjecture is she lost track of that fun jumper, or forgot about that fun jumper because she she had a good canopy to start her hop and pop. She had a full RDS similar to Nick. Um, she did her as I was accustomed to seeing a 450, I, I haven't heard otherwise. And her, she hit that fun jumper um, in the last bit of her turn. Her canopy was freaking destroyed. Uh, I think it was holding on by a couple of lines. She had super fast reflexes. She cut away and pulled a reserve and sadly hit the ground at line stretch. And the, whew, the, um, the alternate story to that is Timmy that, Nick knows, and everybody at Scottish Chicago knows, Timmy and I were uh, teammates on a, on a VFS team in Dubai. Uh, this is probably 13 years ago. And Timmy jumped a prototype canopy. It was a prototype Petra, uh, which um, it, it was brand new. Nick Batch had one, and I think he was the only person in the world who had one. But Timmy is a, a very, very qualified swooper. And so the, the owner of... Um, and the Aerosports asked him to jump it, and, and and he did. And as my teammate, I knew that he didn't keep his RSL connected. And it was a, we were all on vectors then, and it was so it was a skyhook. And um, he hooked it up that morning, but he didn't say anything to me, and I didn't happen to notice it, even though we were on the same pass. And so I had just made my run, and I'm standing in the sort of the sand runout area. It was a competition in Dubai, and uh, he flew that. Petra in the way that you would fly velocity, which is what all of us were on at that time. And he double fronted and he got about 180 degrees around a 450 and the canopy just folded in half. And, and, uh, Timmy also reacted very quickly and cut away. Um, and I actually looked at Steph and said, he's dead because he doesn't jump a skyhook. And his it's always hard for me to tell the story, uh, but he, so he did hook up his skyhook, his reserve opened. He made one turn, he had a half a twist and one turn and landed next to us. And we all kind of hugged him and I couldn't believe he was alive. So just these, these two professional skydivers, both incredible, like Timmy finished that meet sixth in the world. He's, a, he's an incredible swooper uh, who had good canopies to start and eventually that good canopy wasn't landable for reasons that are different, but that don't really matter. And Jess didn't have her sucked up and Timmy did. And so even as professional swoopers that, that, you know, the people that say I I'm a good flyer, I I'm always getting out on a hop and pop. I've got my own airspace. I'm not going to hook up my RSL. I think that's bullshit. You, you don't know when you're going to be dirty low and it won't always be by your choice. You're basically saying that, I'm never going to make a mistake that puts me dirty low when I can't use this main and no one else around me is ever going to make that kind of mistake. And I, man, that is not an argument that I think is convincing. I just, people mess up all the time, myself included. If you look at my construction project today, it was a pile of mistakes. Um, but, uh, 
and so generally speaking, Nick, I think it, as a takeaway from this, I'm really hoping that you will consider your skyhook a hundred percent of the time, unless now there are reasons that you can disconnect it in my opinion, and that's crew and that's, um, canopy flocking can it where, and then the last one would be getting, getting, or, uh, giving, getting or giving canopy coaching in air coaching where you're in all of those situations, you're intentionally flying your canopy incredibly close to someone else. And in those specific scenarios, I can agree with disconnecting it because there may be a wrap that you have to extricate yourself from before it's safe to pull your reserve. Um, and, and that's it though. That's, those are the only scenarios. So I, I hope as a takeaway that your AAD that just saved your life, uh, is a, is a must for all of your jumps and that you, it would be a better consideration in my opinion to upsize to the point that you're not reaching those parameters than it is to downsize past the point where you can use that piece of equipment. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm really hoping that those are, those are some takeaways, but I, even if they're not Nick and, and you're, you're a grown ass man and you can make your own decisions. But for most of the people that are listening, I, I really hope that people will take that away that if two of my friends that could both, I mean, one of them's not with us anymore and one of them is, and, and it's only that little piece of equipment that saved Timmy. Um, if other people can see that if professional swoopers can make those kinds of mistakes and it can nearly cost them their life or cost them their life, you can easily make those mistakes. Um, and so those, those couple pieces of safety equipment are, they're just, they're just mandatory. They're, like I, 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 I really, uh, I, I strongly disagree with people dis disconnecting or not using them. And I, I hope that's a, a good takeaway for you. Yeah. Um, except for those instances like canopy flocking, um, my RSL will be on all the time. There's no need to agreed and agree again, my AAD, you know, there's no reason to not have it on unless I am, you know, I just don't see a reason at this point that that thing saved my life. I am here yep. because that worked. So even in the situation of canopy perform, like flying, let's just say swooping competition, like something happens, it's at least there. Yes, the lower can happen, but it's so hard to achieve that speed at that altitude. So there's a couple of contextual things that I, I wanted to add. Um, one of them is that uh, there's a professional swooper named Nick Batch who hurt himself uh, last year in Eloy, practice, I think practicing for a world level competition. And I'm going to get the details a tiny bit wrong. I'll apologize to Nick, uh, Nick Batch, if I don't get him exactly right. But he, I believe, was jumping a Petra that was at around a 54 or 55 square foot size. Um, and he did a wing over going through the course, and his wingtip caught one of the buoys, and he wrecked himself pretty badly um to maybe he's he's had a pretty tough career as far as injuries um as uh, as illustrious as his wins have been um he's also had a lot of downtime for injuries as a lot of swoopers do um and i believe on that 55 and i if i'm correct nick does an 810 as a as a turn um 
that he achieved 93 miles an hour is the posted speed that he had the fastest point that he was going, which is coincidentally the firing speed for Cypress and I believe for Vigil. And so on, on anything less, in my opinion, most people are just not in the range that they are ever going to set off a speed Cypress. Now, certainly there are people who, if you leave it on expert, and that is, I believe, 78 miles an hour. There's lots of people who get there, myself included, and I'm not pro swooping anymore, but I do big turns every time I land, if I can. Um, and that you could potentially get to uh, as a regular person. But I think for most people, the expert, or sorry, the speed Cypress is just, it's just too fast. People aren't going as fast as they think they are. So, um, that's one thing. The other thing, and, and everybody's experiences shapes them. And I'm going to share this story. Um, many, many years ago, there was a little bit of a, an attempt for people to jump smaller and smaller canopies. And um, <clears throat> the current record is held um, by Ernesto Gainza, who was jumping in Dubai when I was the CEO at Scott of Dubai. The, the previous record um, God, I'm spacing his name. Um, a, a kind of a little Brazilian guy, uh, Luigi little Canny. Luigi Canny. Yeah. Italian. Sorry. Canny. Um, so he was out in Paris. I think Luigi landed a 39 and then, um, Ernesto ended up breaking that record and landing a 36 or 35, something like that. In the interim of those two canopies, guys, if you don't know, there is a guy, I can't remember his name. Um, but he jumped out on a 22 square foot canopy, uh, a 21 cell, 22 square foot canopy. And his intent was to fly with, I don't know, five or six wingsuiters and then eventually release the canopy and, and land either. I don't know if it was a Tershrager. He just was going to land his reserve, but he had a brake fire and he was unconscious. The wingsuiters estimated in, in maybe the first revolution and he was probably dead just a few revolutions later and he died. I mean, he, there was no recovering that spin. The G forces were way, way too much to keep enough blood in his head to live. Um, and he couldn't do anything. There was no, uh, there was no passive release. Uh, and he spun that canopy in and the wingsuiters just watched him die. Um, and so thinking about that, when Ernesto came to me with that project and said, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to break that record. The, the, the very first thing I said to him was that he had to have a passive release for that canopy so that if he lost consciousness, uh, the canopy went away and his reserve would open. And even under your, what size was that airwolf? It was uh, 71. 71. My teammates jump 71s jump. every day. Uh, I normally jump a 71 werewolf for the last, you know, four years. And so for people out there, like this is a conversation that Chris and I, I know we had a few weeks ago where my friend Andy in Arizona, Andy Locke, and I got into a conversation about cutaways. He fights it until his decision altitude. And I disagree, but he, you know, his skill and experience level, I, I think he's just, and I'm only going to throw out these numbers because I need to say about the cutaways, he, I'm going to hazard that he has 15,000 skydives. Uh, it's could be 12, could be 15, 16, somewhere around there. And I have about 21,000, but he has five cutaways and I have 19 and I, I don't fight it for exactly this reason. And those experiences, they all shape us 
the way that they will. Uh, but hearing that that guy was unconscious in a number of seconds, I, I don't want to fight a canopy for very long. My, I bought a 75 at a 2.6 wing loading. If, if I go unconscious, that's it. Um, so I, I don't fight those things very long. And I think, I hope that's another big takeaway, if not just for you, Nick, but, but for anybody who might be listening that if it's not coming back, it's not coming back and your canopy a $4,000 canopy, your life is worth quite a bit more than that. So, um, you, you know, to think about like, not only your procedures, but the timing of those procedures and how long you're going to wait. Um, and Jay said, I heard that 37 square foot canopy was delivered. Yeah. Luigi in an eight and a half by 11 envelope. It was Luigi uh, wrote an article afterwards that he got kind of dry mouthed when he got the little tiny package. I mean, that's the size of a sheet of printer paper, you know, and his canopy was inside. He was, he was pretty scared. Um, so anyway, hopefully a couple of really, really good takeaways from that, that you can, you can use moving forward and, and hopefully keep jumping and, and I know that uh, a little bit of PTSD is probably happening right now with that event, and, and hopefully you can get through that. Well, Nick, yeah. I, I, I feel wanna... I'm getting up soon. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. No, go, go ahead. What were you saying? This is something that everybody should take a pause and realize that it doesn't matter the amount of experience or time or currency. I made a decision that was a dumb one. It was just so callous and it took me it took me out i didn't even have a say i had no agency and i don't want to pass out or black out it took me you don't have a decision and thankfully the aad was on thankfully i turned that on um number one i just want people in part that you know this saved my life um this has saved other people's lives as well uh it's senseless to not use it um, senseless to have the arrogance to say, I don't need it. We don't need, but we should have it. We built these. Um, the RSL well, is another discussion. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're being pretty hard on yourself, Nick, to be honest. Like, it isn't that you didn't think about those things beforehand. You had reasons why you did them. And, and then, you know, until you have those experiences, maybe those reasons seem valid. And, and, one of the things at the very beginning, I don't even know if you were in the chat yet, Nick, but Chris and I were talking about sort of where, where does your, where's your knowledge base sort of dwindle? And, and I'm not saying that I have tremendous knowledge, but being around for a while, you, you see more situations, you see some of your friends die, you, you, you have these situations where, man, if this would have been different, and it isn't for me, it's not just Jess on the, on the skyhook thing. Like I have maybe half a dozen friends that decided not to use that thing and it cost them their life. And, and you know, you're, there's no, there's no teacher like experience. So I, I don't think that you need to necessarily bang on yourself or, or call yourself arrogant or any of those things. I don't, I mean, just knowing you personally, I, that's not the impression I get, but I, I, I just think that you had, decisions that you made for reasons that you thought were valid and and in light of present circumstances they're maybe not as valid as you thought before yeah now now arrogance would be if you still continue to do the same thing and thought well i learned from this i'll never do it again i'm now i'm better and yeah that would be pretty arrogant and pretty stupid but uh you know that's that's obviously not your attitude and 
Um, a couple people have said it in the in the chat um, already, and I want to say, Nick. I mean, it's um, it means a lot to the entire skydiving community. Anytime people are willing to share these types of um, events with with the rest of us, like, um, and not because it's it's embarrassing. It shouldn't be embarrassing. It's it's just it's a personal in a way. It's a personal. I'm like, man, um, it's that's very scary, you know. And um, it's really good, I, I believe, um, whether we watch the video or not, but to be able to learn from one another and to be able to share and say, look, here's a mistake that I made. And that's humbling. Whether you did it on purpose, whether you did it from stupidity or arrogance or what, it doesn't matter. Here's a mistake. Here's something that happened. And I hope that everybody else can benefit from this and learn and be safer as many people as possible. Um, thanks for doing that, man. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Yeah, I and, couldn't and, agree more. Like and there's, man, there's, I'm, glad, oh, I'm glad you're, no, I, I'm, I'm just glad you're here, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more that like, there's just so many times where a little bit of information, I mean, there's 10 people in this total chat and maybe a couple hundred more are going to, you know, listen to this podcast. And if one of them rethinks whatever, you know, logical things that you made this, you know, I'm going to disconnect my RSL. I'm going to not use my ID and one of them rethinks it and it makes a difference and keeps them around. Then it was worth you, you know, whatever embarrassment that anybody might feel of. I, I made a mistake, which I don't necessarily think that you need to feel because people make mistakes all the time. But if, it, if in sharing that stuff or being transparent about, well, this is what I was thinking. And I, I don't know that it was the smartest thing, but it was what I was thinking. And, and that makes a difference to somebody else. That's, I think that's awesome. Well, and, and I, I mean, I tell you right now that it made a difference to Mark. He said in the, in the chat, he said that he used to do the same thing. And after seeing this video and hearing your story and knowing you, he's, he's like, I'm changing my ways. So th there's at least one. Um, and I'm not I, canopy wise. I'm not anywhere near that level, but I can tell you if I ever do get there, uh, you've made a believer out of me. So there's two. <laughs> I've got this, this idea. If you're already thinking about it, then you should do it. If you're already questioning it, I get this back from my days of uh, like wrestling for 10 years. If you're already questioning something's wrong, it's wrong. It's just like act on what is intuitively telling you. This is not right. It's unrecoverable. Like listen to yourself. I was not listening to myself. I was saying, ah, oh, I can ride this down. We won't go over that whole story again, but it was just me defying my normal. This is not good. Yeah. And it was just, well, Nick, th thanks for, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for sharing the video. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's good to have you on, man. And, uh, bless you and, and take care get back up there in the sky. Let us know how you're doing. I'll see you at the DC Thank tomorrow. You. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being awesome. here, Nick. We'll see you later, man. Thank you, guys. You have yourselves a great one, and uh, I'm glad to be here and wish everybody just, you know, be safer. Yeah. Cool. Amen. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. So, J. Russ, um, we're going to stick around for a little bit. Um, we, we did have a comment. Another person asked, um, if there's time, could we discuss exit order? Uh, mixed jumps, MFS, belly mm -hmm. sit, tube exits, belly hybrids, all that stuff. I actually think Oof. that would be a good topic. I think that might be worth spending a little bit of time on rather than us rush through it right now. Maybe that's something we yeah. can spend a little bit of time on. Um, maybe even on the next, on the next show. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, that's fine. I'm hoping this is uh, Joey that's on the MFS, MFS team that trains here at Scottish Chicago called Matrix. And um, and uh, whether it is or isn't, um, I, I do think that he and I just kind of discussed this briefly a few days ago. So I, I think it's probably him, but um, I think definitely it's worth a few minutes more than we're already at like an hour and 15 minutes, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, I don't mind going long. I just think that it's, it's a really, it's a good topic and it's interesting. And especially I think it'd be good for us to even mix in some of the, the topic. Cause we've, we've been making some changes with exit order for movement jumps, even, you know, yeah. there's, there's been some changes recently, um, at least in the, in the Spaceland arena and with text and Alathea, they've, you know, kind of thinking through some things, some different ways. And so with belly groups and big belly groups, so there's been some adjustments on how we do some of that stuff sometime. I think it'd be worth talking through, man, like actually sure. spending a little bit of time, um, going over. Yeah. Cause it can get confusing. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's, there's some different logic that you get into. And I, I, Joey had kind of an interesting situation with his group the other day with like a, I don't know. They, they said they were free flying, but they were going to do, but basically their exit was belly and mm-hmm. but they left like free flyers and, in between mm-hmm. the free fly groups or something like that. And, mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, yeah, but I, I, I think it's, it's definitely worth discussing one, one thing if, if we're going to maybe do that next week that I wanted to touch back on, um, about disconnecting RSLs or skyhooks or whatever Mars you have on your rig. And, uh, and, uh, I just wanted the, the biggest reason that people say they're going to do that. And I'm guessing if, if I had asked Nick this, he would say the same is that, um, I mean, in this case, it was a high pull and by Nick's admission, he wanted to ride it down. So the canopy was easier to find basically. Um, but most people, when you ask them about disconnecting their, their skyhook or marred or RSL, why are you going to do that? And they say, well, I don't want to have reserves on line twists on my reserve. I want to get stable belly to earth before I pull my reserve for the best reserve deployment that I could have. And I, um, there's, I think two, counter arguments to that that I want to make sure we talk about one if you have line twists on your reserve that is a very survivable situation it, it might not be as nice as uh, an untwisted reserve but that's not going to kill you your reserve is going to fly straight and level mm-hmm. I, I struggle to see a scenario where a reserve parachute is aggressively diving at the ground because it's twisted I, and I've seen a lot of those videos even a, um, even a small one <clears throat> I mean I jump a 113 yeah and I've had multiple twists on that and it's flying straight and level. Okay. Um, I mean, it, a reserve is basically a specter with, without ZP. Um, and, uh, I jumped a specter for my first about a thousand jumps. And like, I didn't even understand why people cut away. Like I've had so many times with line twist and it's not, it's okay. Everything's fine. Um, just kind of get so your way out of it. Does a lot of that have to do with the, it's a seven cell, correct? It is seven cell. Yeah. And so is that, that's a, is that a big part of it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just going to, I, this is another area where my knowledge base dwindles quickly. Um, but in my opinion, a reserve is a very, very stable flying canopy in a variety of, of configurations. And that includes line twist. Um, if you had a line over on your reserve, which I, I mean, I know it has happened, so it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but then, then I think your reserve would probably not be flying that well. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise lie twists are fine. And then, um, so that's the first sort of, I don't agree with disconnecting it because you, 
you want to get stable and have a clean reserve deployment, no line twist. The other one is getting back to those accidents. You don't know when you might be low. Are you an AFF instructor? Did you chase that guy past two grand as a lot of instructors might do? Did you forget your breakoff altitude? Did you hit somebody right at breakoff and become disoriented slightly? Like the, the, the pieces of equipment that are there, they are there because that like, you know how a lot of equipment changes move forward because somebody paid in blood hmm. and, and our grommets are all stamped down now. Like they used to just kind of sit there mm-hmm. and the edges were not curved downward on mm-hmm. the grommets. And then somebody's line got caught underneath the grommet and they died. And then grommets changed and, and RSLs and MARDs are a response to people who were perhaps not fully conscious when they needed to be, or they're very low to the ground and, and they needed some help and you don't know when that's going to happen. Mm. And the, it, for those of you jumping a Mard, a skyhook or whatever, some, whatever the skyhook's the most commonly known one, but there are others on the market. They're just a Mard is a main assisted reserve deployment. And, uh, my buddy, uh, that a lot of people know Selwyn Facey did the testing for Skyhook for UPT. And I, hopefully I'm not going to get anybody in trouble for saying this, but there was another guy, Will Lagines, who those two did the testing for, for their Skyhook when it first came out, or it wasn't even out yet. They were testing it. Will cut away somewhere between 110 and 160 feet. Yeah. Isn't there a video? I, I've seen a video of something like that, it, like ridiculously Insane. low. But he had so much confidence in the fact that as soon as I cut away, my reserve is instantly open. And it did. And, 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 and in the did. video, it's, it's instantly open. And he, instantly like, open. he has time to flare in the and video I saw. it's obviously not anything. I'm sure UPT didn't want that. I'm sure they wouldn't have sanctioned it. I'm sure they were pissed off if they heard that they did that because it's so patently unsafe. Like there's no other way to look at it. But it did prove a, it proved a, something. a very good point that you don't have to have tons of altitude. Mm. And if you're less than fully conscious or you get yourself in a bad situation, I mean, the witnesses on the ground for my friend Jess said if she would have just put more fabric by launching her reserve or if she would have had that connected, she needed 100 more feet and she mm. would have lived. Yeah. And she, her estimated altitude for chopping she hit the guy around four or 500 feet and chopped him almost immediately. Um, and then didn't have enough fabric out to stop her. Uh, but, uh, even an RSL that it's going to be faster than your arms moving one after the other, the RSL is going to start that deployment that might've given her that hundred feet. Um, and so again, disagreeing with the disconnection of that device. Yeah. Well, and I want to, I want to say to you, JRS, you know, I, I really, really appreciate your directness mm. with mm-hmm. your convictions about these safety issues. It's, um, you know, here we are watching this video. We've got Nick and it's, it's tempting to just be like, Oh, well, you know, and kind of, you know, that's okay. You made a miss or whatever. And, but you know, I hear you looking at the guy, I, I see you looking at him and saying with confidence, you need to change the way you're thinking about this. This is not right. And to me, we talked last week about love for a <laughs> few moments, right? And to yeah. me, that to me, that is an expression of of genuine care for another individual. 
I'm sorry if I'm, I'm sorry if I'm making you feel uncomfortable. I'm sorry if I'm being direct, but I'm telling you what you need to hear because I genuinely care about you. I genuinely care about your well-being, and for everybody else who's listening, and that that means a lot. It's like a father truly taking care of his son when he tells him the thing that he needs to hear and doesn't hold back because he's worried that it'll make him feel a little bit uncomfortable or bad. And um, I would bet folding money that Nick really, really appreciated that and that that meant a lot to him as it does to um, myself and hopefully the people listening to, which I'm, I'm sure it does. If we could all be my brother's keeper. Mm. Nick but, said, I did appreciate it. Thank you, Nick, yeah. for saying that. Well, I mean, for everybody, the world's a better place with you in it. And so if there's a way that we can be safer and keep more people around and, and not lose friends, that's the way I want to go. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Yeah. Well, this, is, this has been really good. Um, we, we spent way more time on that than I thought, but that's totally fine. I'm happy that we did. Um, I, I think it's, it's very beneficial that we got to really kind of comb through that and, and talk about it and, and learn a lot of good stuff. That's good for all of us. I'll save my um, angle flying conversation for another, for another time when we okay. talk about it. Um, but man, that, that's, that's good. Thanks for, thanks for all your insight and, and wisdom and knowledge. And thank you, Nick, for sharing that with everybody. Um, anything else on your mind before we, before we wrap it up? No, I think that's good. The same thing. I'm really, uh, I mean, I knew as soon as I saw that video last week that this was going to be a good one to learn from and that I, I also really appreciate that, that Nick was willing to do it. I mean, no hesitation when I asked him, he's like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Let's talk cool. about it. So it's super cool. All right. Well, as, as we say, you've done it again. I, I don't know if we wasted, you've an hour. wasted this, another this perfectly one, good hour. Yeah. This one, I think maybe it was, it was worthwhile. <laughs> no, but I have to say it. No, you did not waste cool. an hour. If you listened, you definitely did not waste an hour. Um, but you did waste an hour listening to Jay Russ and Chris. Um, cool. no, we're, we're glad that everybody was here. We're glad that, that you're part of the show and listening and audience. Glad that we're getting a lot of good feedback. It's that's encouraging for us. We're going to keep going. Uh, like we said, if, if, uh, you're in the audience, you're listening, watching these videos and podcasts, you have questions or topics that you want us to discuss, man, throw them at us. We would love, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear you guys ideas, questions. Um, and, uh, we're going to, we're going to keep going. Uh, well, guess that's it man uh we'll see you guys out there blue skies and uh crave do more be better absolutely see you man see ya